welcome all of our new online listeners. Hi, my name is Dr. Stephen Finney, the hosting pastor of Excel Church in IOM America. My wife Jane and I are blessed that you decided to join us. Excel represents Exchange Life. Our church is an outreach of IOM America. We believe all online services should be birthed from the Lord's localized ministries. We want you to know you have our permission to download and or forward this media to a hurting world. We live in troubling times. As global crises come and go, we need to be reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ is attempting to gain our attention, and we need to listen. Our media outreach, I Am Media Productions, demonstrates compassion in action. Everything we do sits upon the pedestal of compassion. So let's get started. Enjoy the worship, illustrative videos, prayer, and weekly message.
course, I'd like you to join me as we listen to songs that offer a message of hope and healing. Whether you've received a doctor's report that brought fear to your heart, or maybe you have a loved one facing a medical procedure today, or maybe you just need a touch from God. Whatever the case, Psalm 22 verse 3 promises that God will be enthroned on the praises of His people. When we join together to lift up our praise, He has promised to be in our midst, and when He's with us, He will heal, He will save, and He will deliver. He'll provide for every need. So let's come together today. He is the great physician. Nothing is too difficult for Him. And as we worship Him today, He will make a way where there seems to be no way.
and we've gathered here strength the king will be glad and in your salvation how greatly we will rejoice you have given us our heart's desire and you have not withheld the request of our lips for you meet us with blessings of good tidings and set a crown of fine gold upon our heads we asked life of you and you gave it to us You lengthen our days forever and ever. Your glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you place upon us. For you make us most blessed forever. You make us joyful and glad in your presence. For the body of Christ trusts in you, Lord. And through the loving kindness of you being the most high, you will not be shaken no global pandemic no personal tragedy no suffering of any sort shall shake you your hand will find out all of your enemies your right hand will find out those who hate you your blessed hand will discover those that betray the body of Christ though they intended evil against you and devised a plot they will not succeed you have promised us this lord be exalted o lord in your strength we will sing and praise your power and your name forever amen
Our message today is titled, The Number Seven. We are in the process of unfolding all the details of the book of Revelation. Before we get started on our topic today, I just want to remind our listeners that the key point in the book of Revelation is that this revelation was given to his son, not to John. For whatever reason it was shown to John, the beloved disciple of Jesus. All of these events were revealed to him for the purpose of revealing to the people what must happen, which, as he clearly made known to us, will soon come to pass. And remember, these things were revealed to John by an angel sent by God in order to write them down for our benefit. This revelation was not just revealing Christ himself, but the final events that were, are, and will be occurring around him. While Jesus was still with his disciples, he spoke of the things written in this book. The disciples had human curiosity and wanted to know, quote-unquote, when shall these things be? That's out of Mark 13:4. Jesus' response was just as curious. An interesting note is Jesus himself, as well as all the angels, did not know these things until he ascended unto his Father. As far as we can tell, Jesus was not given the details of Revelation until after his return to heaven and the Father decided to reveal it to him. That makes the writings of this book very significant. Let's take a look at our opening passage, The Seven Spirits. It says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, and to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Just to recapture what we talked about before, John's greeting is to the seven churches, which are located in Asia Minor. That's in the Turkey area. Even though these were actual churches during the time of John's writing, the seven churches represent the churches throughout the church age. Every type of Christian, every type of church represented in the world today falls into one of these seven types. These churches represent periods of time clearly defined in both secular and Christian history. Now quickly, the seven churches are Ephesus. Ephesus was known for forsaking their first law. Smyrna, the persecuted church. Pergamum, the worldly church. Thyatira, the false church. Sardis, the dead church. Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love. And finally, Laodicea, the lukewarm church. What is the big deal about the number seven? You know, for example, the seven churches, seven seals, 
seven trumpets, seven personages, seven vials, the seven spirits, the seven dooms, and the seven new things. Seven is the number of God. Six is the number of man, which is, of course, one mark short of perfection. The Lord God worked for six days and rested on the seventh. This is why man labors in vain to discover God. No works can be accomplished to enter into God's rest without Christ. Even in our study of the seven churches, only six of them are found with true born-again believers. The seventh church attempted to enter the Sabbath by the blending of Roman culture with Christianity. That is a big no-no to God. It resulted in a lukewarm church, which repulsed the Son of God and caused him to spit this church out of his mouth. Our full list of the sevens in the book of Revelation are the seven spirits of God, seven seals of the book, seven golden candlesticks, seven stars in Christ's hand, seven angels of the seven churches, seven letters to the seven churches, seven eyes and seven horns of the Lamb, seven mountains, seven thunders, seven kings, seven angels with seven trumpets, seven angels with seven vials, seven heads, and seven crowns of the dragon. Yes, seven does appear to be a big number to God. In verse 5, we are shown that Christ is the first witness. In fact, Christ is first in everything. Let's take a look at this list. Number 1, he was the first faithful witness, Revelation 1.5. Number 2, the word in the form of flesh, John 1.1. Number 3, the first begotten of the dead, 1 Corinthians 15.1-30. The first and only prince of all kings, Isaiah 9.6. The first to have blood cleansing sin, 1 John 1.7. Number six, the first to shed blood for the redemption of those sins. Hebrews 9.22 And finally, seven, the first to show redemption. 1 Peter 1.18-23 This is what gives Christ authority over all things. First, placed, shows, and reveals authority. Christ was the first in all things. Therefore, he is over all things. Verse 6 tells us that we, only those of us who are born-again believers, have been made priests and kings. Every believer has been washed as white as snow through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Because of this purification, we have been made by God through Christ to live out of these new positions. In God's eyes... There's no longer a separation of laity of the church versus the priests of the church. All born-again believers have now been labeled priests. That makes us all privileged to have the direct orders from God through Christ in and through the Holy Spirit. 
The cross not only purified our condition, it also brought us a new position. Be on guard for any church that keeps the priesthood separated from the laity, us common believers. They are supporting a movement of the false prophet. The false prophet needs this separation in order to have authority over the people. In Revelation 1.7, it says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. The second coming of the Lord is critical as we study the book of Revelation. It is obviously the most significant part of our belief system as believers. The Hebrew reason for the rapture is the groom Christ is coming to get his bride. That is the simplest way you can remember the purpose of the second coming. Christ needs to come and remove his bride from the earth before he takes acts of revenge on all those who tried to harm his bride. Jesus courted us during his ministry and became engaged with us during the New Testament period. As verse 7 reveals, Christ returns to the earth, second coming, for the gracious act of coming for his bride, bringing his bride unto his father to wait for the final wedding feast. The next great event for the church is all about the clouds. The groom in the wedding feast that await us, his second coming will be great and glorious as any moment could possibly be. It will occur at the same time over all the earth for every believer. We will study more about this later. In verse 8, the Alpha and the Omega is proclaimed in this passage. God is speaking as the great I am. Alpha and Omega are the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. He is the beginning of the letter of the law and he is the end. God is making it clear that he has always been and will continue to be. This is significant in understanding the details of how the book of Revelation ends. Omega if the statement is being made by God, and be assured that it is, the outcome of this book is predestined for victory. Let's review Revelation chapter 1 verses 9 through 18. And here's what it says. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a loud voice like a sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and to Philadelphia and Laodicea. Then I turned to see a voice that was speaking to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. 
And in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like the flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever, and I have the keys of death in Hades. That is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. There is so much revealed in that passage about the magnitude of Jesus Christ and the human reaction of being in his presence, falling at his feet as if we were dead. Verse 9 in that indicates that we are to embrace John as another believer, just like you and I. He is keeping himself on the same playing field as all fellow believers. He admits to his troubles, his trials, and difficulties. In fact, John was in exile to this island because he was trouble and a threat to the rulers at large. John was faithful and true to his master to the very end. The island to which he was banished was almost unknown in its day. No condos, markets, local fellowships, just a dreary and lonely piece of dirt that happened to pop up out of the ocean. God being God, John takes advantage of what they meant for evil. God means for good. He lived and wrote this book under the terrible persecution of Nero, which translates out numerically, by the way, as 666. It was also during the time of Dominion. Both were ruthless and vicious rulers of that age. When the emperor banished John to this 15-mile-in-circumference island, he thought he had destroyed the influence of John. God clearly used this banishing as a writing sabbatical for his beloved. One really has to wonder sometimes how Satan feels when he observes God constantly using his attacks to exalt and lift up the Lord's saints. It's actually remarkable. In verses 10 through 18, it is most fitting that John was caught up in this vision on the Sabbath. I believe that's very important. This is the day that God rested from creation, the day set aside as holy, the day Christ was resurrected from the dead, and the day the New Testament church was born. This is the day that John was called to write the book of Revelation. 
It is also the day when the continuous history was written on the pages of eternity. How fitting. Try to picture this. John's back is toward the seven churches and his face is toward the kingdom of God. A great and mighty voice sounded like a trumpet announcing a king, saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. That would be enough to wake anyone. Up to this point, John's vision was merely introductory. But now, he encounters his first of many visions, which will be revealed one by one. Now just think of this. Seven golden lampstands in the face of God. John turned around to face the thundering voice, and what did he see? He saw seven lampstands made of pure gold. In the middle of those lampstands, which were the seven churches, he saw the Son of Man, Christ, clothed in a robe and breasted with the plate of pure gold. His hair was as white as the purest wool from the purest sheep. His eyes glowed with a flame of eternal fire, and his feet were covered with bronze. His voice was like the roar of many waters. Seven stars were in his hand, and out of his mouth came a razor-sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining at the peak of the day. Can you imagine how John felt? I doubt any man could. Once seeing the face of the Lord, John did what any beloved of Christ would do. He fell at his feet as if he was dead. Christ reached down, took his right hand, touched John's head, and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last of the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Now these keys represented the complete authority over the souls of all, believers and unbelievers. He is clearly communicating that he has the right to lock or unlock the gates of hell, showing supreme authority over Satan, the beast, Antichrist, and the false prophet. This is a big deal. Keep in mind now that Satan is the one who holds the elusive belief that he controls all the people and their destination. The one who holds the keys to a building or room is the one who has authority over that domain. Before the act of the cross, Satan had those keys, but not anymore. Now the decision regarding who goes to heaven is in the hands of the Lord. In verse 19, John is commanded to pick up his pen and write. Jesus said unto him, Therefore write the things down which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. Was Jesus repeating verse 11? Most likely John was in the state of awe and wonder. This command was needed for John to step up and step into the role of recording the keeper of the book of life. Let's keep things in perspective here. John had just seen his master reveal himself in a way he had never seen before. 
He just experienced the mighty splendor of Jesus Christ himself in his final glory. I can't even imagine such a moment. Our greatest imagination cannot envision or embrace this moment that John was having with his groom. Our day is coming when we too will experience the literal mighty tenderness of our Savior, our husband, our Lord, our owner. In verse 20, it brings out that Jesus reveals the foundational and foremost revelation. He says, As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, and the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. As we go through the book of Revelation, God is going to clearly tell us what all the sevens are. Always remember, the church is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. The seven churches surrounding him, remember that Christ was standing in the middle of the seven churches. At this present moment, when John was writing these things down, the churches were set and in need of strong exhortation and correction. The baptism of fire about to take place for our churches will assist in presenting the church to Christ in its purest form. We're going to dive into some of the biblical details surrounding the church in our next lesson. Church in the Greek means to call out The modern term is to bring the cream to the top. The concept here is to call a group of unified believers to go public as a body of free citizens. The word church is always associated with Israel. The Old Testament, or Hebrew, word means a fire signal, signifying a group that displays the light for the ages. Thank you for being our guest today. We hope you decide to join us each week as we meticulously work our way through the book of Revelation. This media is a part of the Identity Matters Worldview Institute, which focuses on Christ, culture, and creator. Take time to visit our website at www.world viewinstitute.center Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We host over 300 videos that focus on the believer's identity in Christ. Until next time,